Welcome, Mick Nelson, into another edition of Jungle Juice. Sam Gormley with you here as well. How are you doing, Mick? I'm doing quite well. Another victory. Yes, it's victory, win victory Wednesday again, and we've got a very special show planned for you as it's the bye week. We can't call it the bye week blues because we don't really have much blues that are happening right now. Instead, it's bye week happiness, I guess, because the Bengals have fought back to go three and three, but up on the show today, We'll recap that game that got them to three and three. And we're also going to have a who day round table, which is we've I've got a list of questions that are just going to kind of get us talking about the first three games of the season. But Mick, we also have at least one very special guest that is going to for sure will be joining us. And we might have others throughout the evening. But should we waste no more time and bring him on? Yeah, let's go ahead and bring uh, bring Tommy on here. One of our fellow admins from Hooday Nation on Facebook. It's Mr. Tommy Lipscomb. Tommy, the pride of West Virginia. How are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you doing, guys? Good. I don't know that it's allowed that we have now three. All of us have a connection to West Virginia. We do. My mom is from West Virginia. Mick was born in West Virginia. You live in West Virginia. We, I, I, who'd have thunk that a Bengals podcast would have this much West Virginia in it? Yeah, it's crazy. You know, it's a like a just a West Virginia reunion, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's like a family the reunion. Near Bengals group right here, even though uh, none of us oh. are from the mountains of West Virginia. We're from the, I don't know the the, the Ohio River Valley part. I don't know the <laughs> <laughs> the the not as the not as scenic part. <laughs> West We've got a great show planned, though. As always, we want to thank our buddy Josh Isles over at WDN today. He allows us to stream on his page. Make sure you follow him. You can join our Facebook group at Huda Nation on Facebook. We have uh, a good following there. Good group. Good good group of admins. And then there's also a few that you know, like Alex Schubert, that we can you know. Eh, eh, did he say he was going to come on? Did he? Uh, did he, he give any? Uh... He decided that he wanted to go to a comedy show instead. He just texted me about ten minutes ago, so we well, can shit. roast him if we want. He could have. This could be the comedy show that he could have gone to. It would have been free too. I, I don't disagree, and he could have even done his stand-up routine and might have gotten more laughs here on with us, even because we have to laugh when he jokes, right? If he yeah. comes on our podcast. So, so is the Thad Boss jersey thing real? Is no, one hundred percent. Yes, yes, it is one hundred percent real that that our buddy Alex Schubert has has purchased a Thad Moss jersey because what's funny is is that he tried to buy one that said just Moss on the back in 81, but they wouldn't let him. So he had to up it, and now it just says Thad Moss on the back because that's the only thing that Fanatics would allow for him to do, which is objectively hilarious. <laughs> so best, I, I best do want best tight end in Bengals history. The best tight end named Thad Moss that the Bengals have ever had. I do want to start, though, is we're going to get to what we are going to classify as our Who Day roundtable a little bit later on. But we have to talk a little bit about this Seahawks game. And, Tommy, I know that you know that we typically break the game up into the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because it's always good to start with the good. And I'll let you start, Tommy. When, when we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly from the Seahawks game, what's the number one good thing that you were taking away from that game? Um, Pretty much just how the defense stepped up. I mean, the defense was on it. Um, you know, from start to finish, they gave up, what, 10 points in the first half, uh, three points in the second half. And, you know, who would have thunk this defense would have gave up just three points in the second half? And it got them the win. 
I, I mean, in that fourth quarter, especially, I mean, they had how many stops in the red zone? I think, I think it was four trips to the red zone for the Seahawks, three points. And that is unheard of. That, that is even, I think a step above elite. And the fact that they really did it twice in the last two minutes of the game is, is even more impressive. And I think that that is hopefully the sign that the defense is finally figuring it out. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's uh yeah, I don't know. I I don't think I've seen a more clutch performance from the defense especially this year. Uh you guys mentioned that he was uh you know that the Seahawks were driving down, you know, it seemed like they had pretty favorable field position at least in that last quarter. And uh you know, two or three, I think they had three like red zone stops you said, right? Four. Yes, I think it was a three out of the four red zone opportunities in the fourth quarter were, were stops. And then the other one was a field goal, which is which is incredibly impressive. And as Philip writes in here to specifically name a specific player, I mean, Cam Taylor Britt, Logan Wilson, Sam Hubbard. I mean, we can continuously name guys that had really good games. But I, I mean, that interception by Cam Taylor Britt is as good of an interception as you're going to see showing off just pure athleticism. Yeah, no, it made a great play on the ball. Uh, you know, it seemed like there was a miscommunication with Metcalf and, and Gino on that play, and then uh, CTB definitely capitalized on that. It was a great diving interception, probably one of the best I've seen uh, in recent memory from from any Bengals player. I think the only one that comes close is the Jermaine Pratt. I think it was the Buccaneers last year, or didn't he catch it like on his forearm? Remember against Brady or something? And and it was more of just because I think everyone, even watching it live, thought that ball hit the turf. And then when you went back and watched the replay, he like had his fingertips underneath of it or something. But still, as far as pure athleticism, that CTB one, unreal. And he just continues to play better and better and better. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um you know, he, he looks like he's slowly progressing throughout throughout the season. Now, the grade wasn't too great. Uh, I'm not really sure why. I only saw really one bad play from CTB in that game, which was, uh, I think it was like a 20-yard catch from DK where CTB kind of took a gamble and made a jump at the ball and uh, and, and missed. And But other than that, I, I, I thought I saw a really good game from CTB on Sunday. And also, yeah. you're going up against one of the best receivers in football. I mean... You're not going to win every time. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You know, you have to look at the caliber of the receiver that he's going up against. And at the same time, I think he uh, – it was only like a 55% completion rate, you know, that what CTB allowed. You know, some people aren't going to like that. But when you're going up against a really good receiver, that's actually not bad. Oh. No, I don't think I don't think so at all. And I think the pass rush is what we really have to talk about as well because they were feasting. Mick, you talked about it after the sh- or at the end of the show last week, where and it's it's kind of been funny because it's it's it feels like you're doing a cop out answer every single week of just saying that the biggest key is the pass rush. But in all seriousness, it's it's just fact. Is in most NFL games, the oh, pass yeah. rush is what wins. And in late in that game, and and the best part about late in that game is that it wasn't like it was Trey Hendrickson every single time. I mean, it was everybody. I mean, you had B.J. Hill. You had Sam Hubbard, who had six pressures and five quarterback hits. And then, Tommy, you have your big stat of one of the big uh, big surprises. Oh, yeah. Game. What we were talking about with Cam Sample. Uh, Cam Sample 
um, one, uh, I, I don't have it here, so I'm trying to go from memory. Um, 36.4 pass rush win rate, had a sack. It was like three pressures and a quarterback hit and 12 pass rushing snaps. And that's just – and that's from a backup. That's from – that's from a depth piece from us. And I mean, it just shows how much depth they um, have on the defensive uh, ends this year. And it's just, it's awesome. It's awesome to see Cam Sample just ball out like that. And even, I mean, you had the one sack, or I guess it wasn't a sack. I think it was after the play, but DJ Reader had the hit on the quarterback that they called a, a roughing the passer. And I know you all, since you were all watching on TV, they might have shown the replay and might have made it look worse than it was, but at least the stadium replay. Now, that's part of the stadium is that since it was a penalty against the Bengals, they want to get the fans all riled up. So they're going to show the, the the angle that makes it look as bad of a penalty as it was. But so I don't know. You all might disagree, but it looked like it was a one of those penalties. It's like, come on, NFL. Like, what, yeah, what do you want these, to do? These, these uh, roughing the passer penalties. Uh... They can be so subjective at times. I didn't think it was really uh, that bad of a of a penalty from Reader either. And I, I mean, we watched I watched the game from uh, from the television broadcast. Uh, but you know, like I said, just like PEI, it's it's a subjective penalty now as to what the refs are thinking at that point in time. So you know, they're going to miss some, and uh, I think they kind of missed that play for sure. Yeah, I thought it was iffy as well. One of the other things that I think we should mention as far as the good from that game, uh, Josh Isles writes in here and says, loves your setup, Tommy. For one, Josh, feel free to feel yeah, free to join us if you're podcast, around. Josh. Come in and join. Maybe you can try and, and beat Tommy as far as your, your background picture. But um, <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe we can start having a competition. I mean, it, it doesn't look quite as good as the random stuff that I have in my background. Uh, you know, we, we got to talk about that. But I think you have the first two drives of offense fits into the good category because yeah. the first two drives I texted Mick, I think after I think it had to have been after the second drive and said, like, we're back. I think yeah, it's my exact for changing the game right yes, there. For the yes. Offense. And I, I can I can take full credit for that. But it was hard not to feel that way, especially because it was highlighted and capped off the end of the second drive by the first career touchdown for the birthday boy, Andre Yoshivash. Yoshi. Gosh, I, I, Yoshi's going to be big time in Cincinnati. I mean, I'm going to be bold on it. I'm going to go. I like the pick. What was it? Sixth round pick out yep. of Princeton. Yeah. And uh, I think it's a really, really good pick. I, I was really high on that guy before the draft. I thought that he was uh, going to, be a good receiver for anybody and i was excited when the Bengals picked him up Bull raw but he is, like and you see, that's been the craziest part about it is from everyone who's heard is that that was always the thing that we heard is that he's so raw but i think when the Bengals got him that they're like oh wow he's he's actually not that raw like he i mean he is still a little raw but i think everyone kind of thought this is the guy that is you you stash him a little bit and in two years he'll be something and then i think they got him and they're like oh wait this is somebody that can actually help us like he's actually, he's actually good. Yes, he was playing in the Ivy League, but he's actually got something. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's it, it's crazy the athletic profile that he has, and you kind of saw it in the preseason where he was just absolutely dominating defensive backs. And uh, although he didn't really dominate defensive backs on the touchdown, that was kind of just a breakdown uh, at the line where Joe was just making magic happen. 
I mean, it was still a clutch touchdown pass there. And uh, also good on Joe for uh, making sure Yoshi got his ball for that, yes. from that, that touchdown. That was, there. that was really cool. Jared writes in and asks about the offensive pass interference penalty called against T. Higgins. I don't know that they showed that in the stadium. So to be honest, I didn't see it. You all were watching. It How was you an feel OPI. About it? it was an OPI. Yeah, you, you, you all off. Yes. You all both he agree that it was off OPI on the back and uh not to not to trash on T, but he had a he had a push on the back and still didn't catch the ball, which uh I, it was just kind of disappointing. Um I I, th- I think T Higgins might we might come up when we get into the ugly category here in just a minute. Do you all have any other goods from the game that really stand out that we haven't mentioned? Uh, no, I mean, I, I guess uh, I, you, you did brush on Logan Wilson again, but Logan Wilson had a, probably his best game of the year. Uh, he, you know, and also uh, just for the defense as a whole, we didn't really see many missed tackles in this game, which we saw a ton of in the games against Tennessee and Arizona. So uh, good corrective action by Lou and, and the rest of the defense and the coaching and, staff. And, and, and that's it, a concern offense, too. Too that has some guys that can break tackles. I mean, they yeah. have, I would say, maybe the best young running back in the NFL. I think an argument could be made on that. You know, he's in the conversation yeah. with, with Kenneth Walker. Uh, I, you know, I think you could probably talk about Bijan in there, but still, he's one of those guys that you're going to have the conversation as one of the best young guys. And then you have maybe the most physical wide receiver in the NFL and DK Metcalf. So when you combine both those, and even Geno Smith, it's not like he's I, I mean, he's a decent-sized guy as well, and they were finishing on him. Now, Gino is not Lamar Jackson when he moves, but he's also not Tom Brady back there, where he is kind of a- able to move around the pocket. And I think they did a good job at corralling him and not letting his legs become a factor at all. Tommy, you'd know better than anybody as the uh, as the West Virginia guy in this group. Gino can move. I mean, you know, he's a lot of. <laughs> Love you too, Mick. <laughs> I, I have my uh, my red towel around here somewhere. I should start waving yeah, my WKU. Uh, you, red nobody towel. cares about WKU other than you. <laughs> Listen, go tops. But Gino can move though. I mean, he's what thirty one or thirty two now, so he can't move like he used to. But I remember at the combine, he ran like a four three nine or a four four. It was right at a four four, and you know that's a lot of speed and uh. You know, especially for a quarterback, and he may not have four four speed anymore, but he's still pretty quick back there. And he even credited the defense, the pass rush for the Bengals. Yeah, and he should. The, the The pass rush was exactly what you would want. When we move on, talk about the bad in this game. So this is not the ugly. This is like that mid tier of stuff that we're like, eh, not great for me. The number one thing that puts on this, and I think you could even make an argument that he deserves to be in the ugly, is Joe Burrow is I think he had some good. He may, he had some great, uh, the pocket presence. I mean, he had the one play that he, you know, ran around, and I thought he ran past the line of scrimmage since I was watching it in the stadium. And I think I was telling you, Mick, that it's so weird that you get so conditioned when you're watching on TV to see the blue line that when you're actually in the stadium, you you forget sometimes where the line of scrimmage is because you're just so in that, it's so focused on watching the play. And I thought just based on, where it was that he'd run past the line of scrimmage, and it turns out he was nowhere near it. So you saw some good things there, but then he had some throws that were throws that typical Joe Burrow makes, and that's why I throw him in the bat. I don't think it was quite ugly, but it wasn't definitely good. Yeah, 
I would. It's it's a tale of two drives versus the rest of the game, pretty much. In the second half from Joe, I I will put it in the ugly category for sure. Uh, he uh, looked like he was throwing behind receivers a lot. Like he 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 missed a lot of throws, and you don't norm, normally see him miss. Uh, but you know, he obviously did well enough for the uh, for the offense to score enough points to win the game. So. Yeah, I, I'd I'd put Joe in a in a mid category, probably which mid mid's pretty much bad, right? Is that, yeah, is that bad? In, in in our game here of the good, the bad, and the ugly, he, that is the uh, the mid tier of that. Tommy, do you have somebody to throw in the mid tier? Um, honestly, I thought Joe Mixon this game. You know, it's uh, obviously he didn't get a lot of in the run game, but. Um, you know, it's been down from what we have seen. You know, we've seen um, a couple of uh, glimpses of that he could uh, really, you know, break out this year from, you know, the past couple of seasons. And then, you know, the run game was just nowhere near what it has been, even when they looked worse, even in losses. You know, I think he averaged, what, 3.2 yards per carry on uh, yeah. Sunday? I, I think that's a great one to put into the bad because I think he – I don't know that he had many rushes of like one or, or zero, but he didn't. I don't know that he had one longer than five. I don't know what his longest rush of the game was, but he, he was just very much in that, th- you know, two to four range every single time, which, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world, but he never was able to really break through. Now, part of that probably does go that the Seahawks run defense is really good. But then part of it probably has to go if it's like Joe Mixon, if you want to be classified as a great running back, Got to break one. Oh, absolutely. And there was a couple they showed on a replay where we, you kind of got to question his field vision on him because if he would have juked to the left and went to the left, he had a wide open hole. But he's just like – it's like he's got a magnet to try to go up the middle. I don't know if he thinks he can just go up the middle. I don't know if he just wants to get away from the play design that's supposed to go up the middle. But if he would actually make that cut to the left a couple of times – He'd have at least first down. I mean, there was some quite there was some pretty big gaps there. Yeah, we me and Sam kind of talked about this. I think this was during the Rams game that we went to. Exactly. Is that Joe Mixon either, you know, his field vision is either, you know, completely on it. He knows exactly where he should hit, and he's hitting the hole hard and he's making, you know, he's ripping off really good runs, or it's just completely awful and he's just like you said, he's just that run defender magnet where he's just getting stuffed and he's ripping off, maybe not ripping off. He's, he's getting stuffed for like minimal gains. So yeah, yeah. I, I think, uh, I think Joe Mixon was probably in the bad category. He also had like one or two drops in the receiving game, which they didn't really make much of an impact on the game because I think at least one of the drops is on the touchdown drive. So still scored a touchdown, but yeah, you usually see him make some of those catches too. I think another one of the bad for me is, and and again, it's to me, it's based on, and why I'm putting it in bad is based on consistency, because I think in this position, consistency is one of the things that makes you, makes you go from being good to great. That's Brad Robbins. 45.7 average on the punt, which is, you know, it's it's fine, but he had a couple clunkers. 
Now, it was a windy day in Cincinnati, so I will say that. But at the same time, we just have – overall, he's been a little disappointing. Uh, and it's weird for me to say a punter is disappointing. Like, it's just it, – like, it doesn't feel right to be maybe feel like, yeah, I'm an expert on punting. You know, we could talk about that. But is, is it not, like, just – I don't know. I can't even put my finger on it. I feel like there's probably more of a learning curve when it comes to, uh, you know, punting in the NFL, uh, you know, in your rookie year and and trying to get accustomed to the game because I feel like the game's probably a lot more different than in college. Uh, whereas field goal kicking, you're kind of just kicking field goals right off the bat. So I wonder if some of that just has to be a learning curve. I mean, we did see some good punts from Brad. From Brad, like you said, we saw a couple of. Uh, you know, not so good punts. Uh, still better than than Drew Christman, I would say, or you know, whatever, well, whatever yeah. he would have put yeah. out there. <laughs> see, I see it different. I've these past three games with Robbins has been a complete one eighty over the first three games. And I would and, agree with that. And yeah. he did. He had that one thirty eight yard punt that um, I think Seattle got it on the sixteen. Took a. Uh, um, you know, Seattle took fair catch on, but you take away that one good return from um, Seattle, 23 yards. They only averaged 11 yards carry or, or 11 yards on the return, excuse me. And um, they, and he did have a couple of uh, nice punts. I mean, that one that went like 58 yards that they said had a hang time of almost five seconds on it. That's what the Bengals want. And yeah. that's what they're hoping to get on a more consistent basis. And, as a rookie, I think he will get more consistent, you know, as he gets more reps. And I think the lack of consistency is why I put it in the bad. Is because it wasn't ugly, because like you mentioned, there were some good ones, but then the clunkers are what we gotta take away from the game. And and I know it's young and all of that, and I get that. And that's why he's just in the bad to me. And I hope that, you know, I think last week I had him in the good. So hopefully we can more consistently put him in in the good. Uh do you have any more for the bad or should we move on to the ugly? Uh, I'm going to put the play calling in the bad category. They did enough to obviously win the game, and they you know looked pretty good in the first uh, you know the first two drives where they were consistently moving the ball down the field. Uh, but the offense has to find a way to transition away from this short passing game, this screen passing game, and it's getting to the point where it's starting to look very predictable, and that's that's uh, that's a dangerous ground to be playing on. Now, when we, you know, the last last year we said the offense was looking a little too predictable five weeks in, um, you know, we, we saw some pretty big changes. And I'm hoping that we get to see some of those uh, after the bye week. And it looks like Brian Callahan's kind of fed up with the way that the offense has gone as well, uh, based off of his comments. So, well, I know I read from, I think it was James Rapine said that Joe Burrow, apparently he caught him after the game going up to a specific player and putting his arm around him and saying, we need to be better. And as if to say, like, I need to be better, but also you need to be better. And I think all of the question was, is, oh, which player was it? Hmm. And I think that there are a couple of candidates for it. I, I think one of the more obvious ones is probably Cordell Volson. But also mm. I think T. Higgins deserves that. T. Higgins. And, I, and I think that probably leads into the ugly. And, and T. Higgins, again, is the drops are a... Uh, are, are a real problem right now for T. Yeah, 
Oh yeah. They uh I don't I'm not sure. I I think Paul Paul Diener kind of talked about this after probably the Rams game. And uh you know, he kind of brought up some parallels with Jesse 2 years ago when um you know, we kind of found out we we pretty much assumed that Jesse was not going to be on the team past those two seasons. And then you saw a pretty big drop off in production from Jesse Bates. And it's not him just saying, well, screw you guys. But you kind of think that these players probably put too much pressure on themselves in these types of situations. And when you tend to put too much pressure on yourself, that's when you start playing poorly. And I wonder if that's the same situation that's happening with T a little bit. And I mean, we, we can't go without mentioning that T does have a fractured rib. Like, don't get yes. me wrong. That, I mean, every time you move, you breathe, it hurts. But that doesn't impact you for being able to put your hands up and catch the ball. Because some of these burrows hitting him in the hands, and he's just not catching. That your, your rib doesn't have an impact on that. Now, the rib would be when you turn and run with it, and you're going to get hit by Jamal Adams. That's where that rib is not going to feel too good. But the, the T issue is, 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 is it's getting to the point where I'm a little concerned. Like, big concern. Yeah, um... And uh, another thing we got to note is that the, the way that the offense is running, the type of scheme that they're trying to put out, it's all short yardage slants, you know, slants to the slot receiver. Um, and that's not really T's MO or that's not really his game. His game is it's along the, the sideline. Yeah, it's more the Jamar game. Or really the Jamar game now is just so multifaceted. So I don't mm-hmm. even know if I can put it in that category. But The Jamar game is is yes. Like, yes, just throw him the ball, (laughs) whatever it takes. Did you not Mick? Did you know that he's always open? Yeah. The seven 11 chain. That's we got to put that in the good category. Yes. 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 Got to make a note on that. That Seven 11 chain. That was awesome. Did you buy Tommy? Did you buy one? I know that they were selling them for, for $125. Did you buy three or four to wear when you get to go to a game here in a couple of weeks? Oh, I've got seven of them. I've got seven, seven of them, and I'm going to put them all around. And <laughs> I believe hey, it. you can wear that wear that Seven Eleven chain by Rand University, if you know what I'm talking about. There, oh, dude, Rand <laughs> University. Okay, we're, I think we're, Rand uh, University hey, was an actual Seven Eleven too. I think yes, and they, yeah. I believe they shut that Seven Eleven down. Oh, oh, well, R.I.P. to the Rand University. <laughs> I think the ugly as a whole, too, we can just throw the offense in there. We've kind of touched on that. I think, you know, the offense after the first two drives get thrown into the ugly. And we kind of touched on that throwing into the Burrow, the Higgins, and the Mixon. Uh, the offensive line, I thought, was was fine. Uh, I think you had some good moments. You had some bad moments. I think Burrow was sacked twice. He was pressured a couple of times as well. Read into that how you want, but I think as a whole... Uh, definitely in the ugliest is the offense after those first two plays. See, I'll put the offensive line in the ugly category. Because, yeah, yeah, you can say, oh, well, only gave up two sacks, only had a couple pressures. Joe Burrow is getting the ball out of his hand quicker than he ever has in his entire career, Uh, which pretty much tells me one thing. It's that he doesn't trust the offensive line to hold blocks for more than two and a half seconds. And that is that that's nothing but ugly from the offensive line. And I think that'll be a good topic here that might come up here during our Who Day roundtable. 
think this might be the perfect time to to jump into this. I've come up with this is a list of about ten questions or so that we can go through and, and give me, discuss. Give me two minutes. Um, two some minutes. Dumbass <laughs> forgot to plug the Chromebook in. I got to go get the charger real quick. Okay, I'll mute you and I'll just pull you off mic, and then when you come back, we'll I'll put you back on screen because I'll awesome. see you pop back in. Okay, so Tommy's going to pop off for two minutes, Mick, and we're going to jump into this Hootay round table. I've got a list. You want to do the trivia question first? No, uh, because the trivia question is a fits into one of my round table questions. Yes. Okay. So it it it, like the question for the round table is a trivia question that will then turn into a open discussion. I know that that probably is like I feel like it might be that that, that Zach Galifianakis. With all of the formulas going through, that's kind of how I, f- I feel with, when I'm talking about this. But we can at least start with this one, Mick. And and really, these are the first three questions, and we can get Tommy's when he comes back. Is Let's start with the first one. Mick, you are now the teacher. You're Mike Brown. You're giving a grade to the offense for the first six games of the season. A letter grade. What is that letter grade? D. 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 Just a straight up D, not D minus, D plus, D? No, I'll just give it a straight D. Uh, I, I can't go into the nuances of the pluses and minuses, but a D. You've seen two decent games from the offense, which uh, are is the Ravens game in week two and the Cardinals game in week five. All other games by the offense have been pretty bad. And the Rams game was okay. They left points on the board that Rams game, so it was all right. It's not where you want the offense to be, and they really got to start figuring it out because the short yardage passing game isn't going to work. This isn't Joe Burrow's game. He likes throwing the ball down the field. you got to find a way to, to scheme receivers open. I, I was a little encouraged by those first two drives against Seattle, though, because it looked like they were running a little more pre-snap motion and getting more favorable matchups. And it looked like they just started to, it, it looked like they completely abandoned that, that throughout the game, which I wasn't too much of a fan of. Tommy, I don't know if you heard the question or not, but we are, you are now the teacher letter grade for the Bengals offense through the first six games of the season. Mick gave a D. I think a D sounds fair. Think of these sounds fair. Um, they got three wins. The offense has done enough to get three wins, but they haven't really been. They're they're not even on the same level as they were last year through six six games. So yeah, and last year I would have gave them maybe a C C plus. I think of these fair. Uh, is this a cop out if I say incomplete? Yes. Yes. Yep. <laughs> well, I, I'm call. I'm, that's what I'm going to say. I'm going to give it an incomplete, just because I, I, I think that in a, this will. Be, uh, we're going to come back to this in in a little bit. Is that that injury? I think had a lot bigger impact on it than than maybe we we really thought it would potentially have uh, later on in, in, in the show as well. Um, grade the defense through the first six games of the season. Tommy, we'll start with you. What's your letter grade through the Bengals' defense? I'm going to go with a B-. minus. B-. minus, Mick? I was exactly going to say – I was going to say exactly a B-. minus. 
And see, I guess I'll be the negative Nancy and say C plus. Okay. C plus will be what I'll what I'll go with because I think kind of like we saw is it's just been the it's like the Brad Robbins thing, so inconsistent. Yeah. So yeah. inconsistent, and that's been what has driven me crazy. I mean, if they play like they do against the Seattle, it'd be an A plus plus. But then we've seen them go up against some teams where it's like, my goodness, could they stop us three? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that Cardinals game is you know. And, and they did win the game. They only gave up 20 points. But you had so many missed tackles against one of the worst skill position units in the league. And that's just unacceptable. The Titans game, I don't even want to get started on that. That was probably the ugliest game I think I've seen, potentially in the Lou Anarumo era. Uh, and but see, then, Sorry. Oh, no, go on. Go on. Finish your point. But then you also see the defense have uh, – you know, championship winning games or just, you know, dominant games uh, against the Rams and the Seahawks. So, and I think, and that's why I think I go see is I think that the Titans game bumps down a letter grade. And then also see Cooper even agrees with me that uh, <laughs> that's mixed dog. Tommy, if you didn't know Cooper is mixed dog and Cooper and Mick are the best of friends. If you guys want a free dog, hey, if anybody watching this wants a free dog at any point in time, message me. Cooper. (laughs) But, okay, we'll move on to this. Uh, Mick, we'll start with you just because I feel like you you will enjoy this one the best. Grade the coaching through the first six games of the season. I'll give it a C. So, yeah. You're 500. Yeah, that's a C. That's a that's a C. They haven't had much to work with, especially on offense, the first four weeks of the season. Given the Joe Burrow injury, the playbook looked extremely limited. You know, you saw the offense start to you know start to come around against Arizona. Um, oh gosh. Um, uh oh. Uh oh. Uh oh. The wife is coming in. Oh no. <laughs> Uh oh, Mick. See that couch you're sleep you're sitting on right now. That might be where you're sleeping tonight. Yeah, at least it's comfortable. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the offense was kind of limited, you know, given the Joe Burrow injury. But now it looks like you know the Joe Burrow injury is starting to uh, look better. You know, it looks like he's starting to heal. He's looking a lot more mobile uh, and starting to look like his old self but they haven't really opened up the playbook. They definitely didn't do it against Seattle. Now, maybe we should give Seattle a little bit of credit. Their defensive backfield looks pretty decent. So uh, how much of that was the coverage on on Seattle's end? But then, you know, it looked like Seattle was dialing up pressure and stuff, uh, you know, after those first two drives, and it looked like the offense couldn't, couldn't, you know, stop them at all. So I'll give that – I'll give them a – I'll give the coaching staff in general a C. And then the missed tackling, that's – is that a – you guys think that's a coaching issue or a uh, – That's a defense a, issue. Yeah. I mean – That's a defense issue in my eyes. I think when you're in the NFL, it's not on a coach to teach you how to tackle. I feel like at that, at that oh, point, right. it's on you. It's on you. Like, you're not – this is not high school football anymore. This is not the Grayson County Cougars. You know, this is this is the Cincinnati Bengals. You've got to figure out how to tackle. 
Tommy, do you have a grade for the Bengals coaching staff through the first six games? I agree with Mick. I mean, a C's fair. I mean, they're three and three. Uh, we've they've had really bad games. They've had really good games. You know, coaching wise. I mean, I just I think C's fair, especially at three and three. And see, I'd bump them to a C plus. Again, I'm in that same realm. Just a C plus. Frankly, just because I like the plus and minuses makes me feel a little bit better. Uh, to go C plus just because I think that this team very well could have fallen apart. And the fact that they're three and three is why I go from C to C plus is I think that they deserve some credit for that. And I think that's one of the things that Zach Taylor, you can say what you want about the play calling and all of that, but what you can't take away from him is the culture that he's built without question. I think that that when, when things are struggling, you fall back on that culture. And mm-hmm. the culture has stayed strong, even when it has been real bad. So that's why I go to a, a C plus. I know Megan writes in and she says C is very fair, fair, and she is a huge fan of Zach Taylor. Well, the next question here for you all, and kind of leads into what our first question was. And Tommy, we'll start with you. How much of the offensive struggle goes towards Burrow's calf, and how much is actually major cause for concern? Oh, that's a really, really good question. Um, I've been one of these that I don't think his calf was a lot of the uh, issues that he's had. And when we look back at the AFC championship game last year in the second half in the Seahawks, this, uh, you know, in the second half of this game, we're seeing a lot of issues. And I just, I just don't, you know, when you compare a lot of the numbers when he's had less than two and a half seconds to throw from last year to this year, he's actually been worse when it's been over to it, when it's been over two and a half seconds. So I think a lot of it's more mental. I get torched when I say that, but I think a lot of it's just more mental with Burrow right now. Mick? See, I'm gonna I'm gonna give more credit to the calf injury, and it also, and I've touched on this beforehand too, and it's kind of a two-folded thing with what Tommy said is that injuries like this can cause you know mental problems for a quarterback because uh, you know Joe's still you know you know there's still a learning curve with Joe trying to trust that calf, uh, you know it's still I I would assume it's still not a hundred percent. Uh, it looks like it's slowly getting better. He's looking more mobile. But uh, the second half of that Seattle game, I'm just not sure uh, what his issue was. Uh, it just looked like he wasn't on the same page as his receivers. It looks like the offense hasn't really communicated well as a whole uh, in the first six weeks of the season. Now, a lot of those miscommunication penalties uh, – you know, they, they've cleaned those up in recent weeks, but it, it, it just doesn't look like everybody's on the same page right now. And I don't, it's not a huge cause of concern. They, they, they are slowly improving, um, especially in the past, you know, two weeks. Um, yeah, I'm going to say it's still the calf. We're going to, I'm going to give the calf a lot of credit here. Nick, who's been the biggest surprise of the first six games? Biggest surprise. Um, I'll go with T. Higgins, and not in a good way. Uh, T. has had this um, 
mo or he, his his game has always been being more physical than the guy he's matched up with and being an elite receiver at the catch point and you're just not seeing that from him at all this season um you're seeing a lot of hesitation on his part you're seeing him drop a lot of balls but also part of me kind of thinks well how much does this have to do with t and how much does that have to deal with the type of game plan that the Bengals are running out there which doesn't really suit t's game so yeah i think t's probably been the biggest surprise uh, of the team this year tommy you got one yeah he went more of the uh Bad route with T, which is a hundred percent spot he's on. He's good at that. He's, he's very <laughs> pessimistic. <laughs> hey, but but he's a hundred percent spot on with T. But I'm going to go with DJ Turner. Oh, I really am. You stole it from me. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, when you look at defensive passer rating, he's only allowing quarterbacks a fifty-two point one passer rating. I mean, if quarterback had a fifty-two. Oh, oh no! We Tommy's lost Tommy. No, he was giving great information too. Oh, that's so disappointing. Hopefully, Tommy can hop back. You know what? We'll just say that he tags off on me because that was going to be my exact answer is DJ Turner. Because I think we had, I don't know what my expectations were for him. I think that they were pretty much similar to what Cam Taylor Britt was last year. That was my expectation. His second round corner was expecting something like that. And he's been better this year than Cam Taylor Britt was last year. Now, that's not me taking any shots at CTB, but it's more of just, I've been very impressed with how he's played. So I think he fits into uh, that category of being the biggest surprise. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with DJ Turner. He's looked uh, a lot more polished uh, than even what I thought he was going to be going into the season. Now, I even said that, we touched on this, I think, in the week before the season, like, Who's the rookie that you think is going to make a big impact? And I thought it was DJ Turner. Um, and he's looked he's looked as advertised. He looks like he looks like he could be uh, a, a very uh, a very good starter in the offense. That's probably going to move away from Cheeto at the end of the season. Mick, you kind of already answered this one, but you could maybe find a different answer. Who's been the biggest disappointment? Okay, we'll do a different answer. Uh, Cordell Volson, uh, you uh, stole without him. a doubt. I think uh, he's the obvious answer. Yeah, he uh, and, and and maybe the first four weeks we could have said like he went up some really he, he went up against some really tough competition, which he did. Uh, but he looks like he is regressed, and you usually don't see that in a second year offensive lineman. Um, now I wonder how much of that has to do with the change in personnel at the left tackle position with Orlando Brown being there. And he had Jonah there last year. I wonder how much it has to do with their communication together and the offensive lines communication as a whole, and really the, the offense's communication as a whole. But um, we usually see a pretty big jump in year two and an even bigger jump in year three. And we've just seen a clear regression from Cordell in year two. And, and it's very concerning and, uh, you know, if it doesn't get any better, the Bengals have to look at moving on from him next year. I completely, completely agree with that. And I think T fits into this category as well. Yeah. It's hard to call Irv Smith a disappointment because expectations were so low coming in. But I think it's also safe to say that they were low and he hasn't even met the low <laughs> expectations of what it is. 
is he has been yeah. an incredible disappointment for the Bengals. I think PFF has him rated as one of the lowest rated tight ends in the NFL this he year. He might be the worst rated tight end in the league. Yes, and um, it's it's just been and and that's it's kind of like isn't it the there's a gif or a movie line or something that says my expectations were low, but and it's kind of okay. been what it's been like for Irv Smith. Let's give Irv some credit. He is the second to worst rated tight end in the okay. league. Who's uh, worse? Who's wor- I, that let's see. Um, Brock Wright. Do you know who he I, plays for? Not a clue at all. Of the Detroit Lions. Who Would is you have a, known uh, that? Yeah, I do know Brock Wright. Right, plays for the Lions. Who is pretty much just a pass blocking tight end? He's like the Lee Smith of the Lions. Um, He's the Drew Sample. Yeah, or the Drew Sample. I guess that's the best way to put it. Drew's actually graded uh okay. Yeah, not, Drew Sample's had great. A, uh, his, his pass his blocking role, grades propelling his actual grade, by the yeah, way. That's, in that's his cool. role, Drew Sample does well in his role as a tight end for the Cincinnati Bengals. Mick, in order for the Bengals to make this a memorable season, blank needs to start playing better. I'm going to go with Joe, Joe Burrow. Um, he's obviously the driving force of this offense. He's an elite quarterback. He hasn't played like an elite quarterback in the first six weeks. Now he does have a calf injury he's dealing with, and he's slowly healing from it, hopefully, uh, barring any setbacks, knock on wood. But uh, Joe's got to start playing better. He, um, you know, You're starting to see that escapability. You're starting to see that magic kind of come back. Now he's just got to start executing a lot more. And, you know, you, you could tell he wasn't pleased with the way that the offense and himself performed against Seattle. Um, but the thing is, the road doesn't get any easier, and he definitely knows that. He's got to rise to the occasion. Without question. I, I, I agree. I think that's a really good answer. I think T. Higgins can be thrown in yeah. this because I think it, the offense is very much Jamar Chase. I think you could even slide Tyler Boyd in there. Tyler Boyd, I think, had his best game of the season against the Seahawks. It seemed like Burrow was finally going to him at times because it felt like he was really a non-factor at times looks, early in the year. He looks a step slower this year, it feels and like. And part of that yeah. is, is that he's almost 30 years old. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. And part of that is also showing as to why they drafted, they drafted, uh, oh, 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 someone's back. Tommy back in. Let's see. Let's see. Oh, Tommy, you're back. Hey. I got kicked off. <laughs> yeah, we, you were giving a great point about DJ Turner. Luckily, I tagged in and finished it off for you. Uh, but because I agree, DJ Turner was the uh, biggest surprise through the first six games. We'll go back really quick and, and yeah. let you answer these two. Um, Mick and I just are well. Who has been the biggest disappointment for you through the first six games of the season? <sighs> Revert back to. Uh... Um, what Mick said earlier about his surprise, T. Higgins. I really think T. Higgins has been the biggest disappointment. I mean, we would love to see T. Um, long-term in Cincinnati. Don't know if that's going to happen or not. So, we're in reality, this could be his contract year. And not just with the Bengals, but with anybody else, he's just not. It's just been underwhelming. We'll just put yeah. it at that. Wholeheartedly agree. Yeah, I, I could, couldn't agree more. Uh, finish the uh, complete the sentence here. In order for the Bengals to make this a memorable season, blank 
needs to start playing better? Mick said Joe Burrow. Who is your answer? Um, I don't want to be a copycat to uh, <laughs> Mick. So uh, I'm just going to go with the offensive line. I'm going to go. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to go with safe. I'm going to go with the offensive line. And I kind of put T. Higgins in that category because I think that the offense is so Jamar Chase centric right now is that they need someone else to step up and really help Jamar Chase. And heck, maybe that's Trent Irwin. You know, maybe Trent Irwin starts getting a a bigger, maybe it's Andre Yoshibash. Maybe it's Charlie Jones. I know Charlie Jones is expected to potentially be back for the Bills game. That could be potentially the next thing is you're starting to see maybe one of these guys to pop up, but it can't just be Jamar every single time. Because when you're going up against a team like your next game is the 49ers, that's a great defense. The Bills defense is not bad by any means. Uh, You're going up against some really good defenses here that know you and know you well. You can't just keep relying on Jamar Chase. I know one of the big discussions that fans have been having, and Tommy, or Mick, we'll start with you with this one, is the lack of production from the tight end position overrated? No, I don't think it is. Uh, and I've touched on this plenty of times is that mm. I don't know how much of it is that Irv Smith is bad, bad, even though he has been bad. But the offense the last two years is uh, kind of had success under a more prototypical tight end. You get what I'm saying. Uh, Irv Smith is smaller. He is shorter uh, than – CJ Uzama and Hayden Hurst were. Uzama and Hurst were probably 6'5, 6'6, 250 pounds. They had a lot of size. They could uh they were better at the catch point. And you went with this more speedy athletic tight end who isn't as good at the catch point, who isn't getting any separation. And I think it's really hindering this offense. I wonder if Hayden Hurst, if Hayden Hurst is on the team this year. Would this offense be more along than what it is? I think it. I think it would have. I think it would be. And that's kind of the question that I'm asking. And Tommy, you know, is is that Irv Smith one of the main reasons that this offense is, has, if we're being honest, sucked? I think it's part of a factor, but I don't think it's the biggest factor. I mean, the way I look at it with tight end, I know that is a hot topic with the fans. I honestly think the way that the offense is going right now between the play calling, Joe Burrow's overall performance. You could put a Travis Kelce out there, and I don't think that they would be any better at at this point. You know, they have some issues right now, and, you know, getting another weapon is just going to mask the uh, main issue of what's going on right now. I just don't th- – honestly, I think you could put Je- Justin Jefferson on the opposite side of Jamar Chase, and they're still going to have the – the issues that they have right now. I know that's being bold, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, no, I mean, it's hard to, uh, hard to disagree. And I think this kind of leads into my next question, which also is our trivia question. If you're all ready for this, the Bengals have made only one trade for a player in season in the last 40 years. Who is it? Larry Johnson. No. Oh, Cedric Benson. No. Okay, I'm out. You want me to give you a year? Do you got to? 
Yeah, yeah. Get, well, see what see what see if Tommy can get it first. Do you have it, Tommy? Um, I don't because I'm a little fuzzy. I'm wanting to think that they traded for BJ Hill in week one. It was right before week one. Oh. Right before week one. So it was technically right after or pre-cuts, right post-cuts, but this is mm-hmm. mid-season. 2017 was the year. 2017 was 2017 the year. was the year. And I'll be honest, I would have not gotten this. I don't know. Um, Defensive uh, lineman Chris Smith. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) What, a trade with Jackson? Did they trade Jacksonville? Was that a Jacksonville trade? I think it was Denver, if my memory is correct. Okay. Yeah, uh, I think he went to Jacksonville after Cincinnati. Correct. But Chris Smith is the only player that the Bengals have acquired in the last 40 years mid-season. So I ask you this. Will this year be the second? And if so, what position group needs the most help? Or which position group would it be? Who's going? Tommy, you want to go first? (laughs) I'll go in... uh... (laughs) You know, the, the safe answer is offensive line. I don't really want to go offensive line. That's what everybody goes um, or what everybody knows. Um, mm, well, shit, I got to go with offensive line. <laughs> so like a guard? <laughs> I do, especially the interior offensive line. Um, you know, Volson's not cutting it up. You know, we know that. Um, I think he was thrown into the fire a little too early. You know, FCS guy, fourth-round pick. He wasn't expected to start out of the gate. Um, I don't have a lot of faith in Sharping. And um, who else is there? There's uh, Trey Hill. I don't think that's going to be the answer. And I know you can put Jackson Carmen there, but I have a lot of uh, opinions on Jackson Carmen that, I can't really say here. <laughs> this is a family show to in some instances. <laughs> Mick? Um, and I can't believe I'm saying this because in terms of positional value, I, I, I do agree with, with the consensus. But I'm going to go with tight end. And just for the points that I said in the last question is that this offense has had success under different types of uh prototypical tight ends than what Irv Smith has to offer. And I feel like you get somebody that's more like that CJ Uzama or, or Hayden Hurst that could actually unlock the offense a little bit more. Um, and then offensive line, yeah, you can make a trade. I think the depth isn't too bad behind Volson where you can maybe start seeing what Cody Ford's got or <laughs> – you know, Max Sharping's been a starter in the league before, and albeit he hasn't been great, he hasn't been, you know, absolutely horrible. So I'm going to go with tight end. Offensive line is probably the second choice, or even even a starting safety, too, because we talk about players. that, And he wasn't even a disappointment because I didn't have high hopes to begin with. But Nick Scott has been absolutely dreadful. If you had the, the 55-40 mark of this podcast the first time Nick was going to throw shade at Nick Scott, you won. I hated that signing so much, and I still hate that sign. 
it's, it's pretty bad. To me, I think you all might be missing the most obvious one, and I think it's one that is, if it happens, which I don't think it will. Do you, do you all think yes or no? Will they make a trade? If no. we're just going based on that, no, 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 no absolutely they not. I think if they do, to me, it's third down running back. They could third down running back because I am worried. Let's just say Joe Mixon gets hurt. Travion Williams, Chase Brown, Chris Evans. I'm surprised Chris Evans hasn't gotten more of a feature role in this offense. I think the biggest thing with Chris Evans from everything that that I know I've read and heard from some of the beat writers is that they just don't trust him at all. Really? Correct. And and I'm not sure if that is, you know, he doesn't do the work. He there is something there about Chris Evans because he has all the tools. But I think the the other thing is, is that I don't think he is a running back. I think he's more of a like a running back wide receiver. Like he's really not either one of them. Because I don't think he's a guy. He's I don't think he's a third down running back. Because I think your third down running back is probably built more in the mold of a Travion Williams. But Travion Williams, do you really have that much confidence in a guy like him? I, I, I don't know. So that's why I just think. And honestly, the guy that keeps coming up, and I don't think it's completely crazy, is call Denver and ask for Samaje Piran. See. I would be okay with that, but the thing is, and you know, I don't want to get too deep into the dollars conversation here, but Samaje was under contract for I think he was only making like 1.2, maybe 1.5 million when he's here. He's making three million in Denver right now. Do you really want to sacrifice? It's two and four, I think, is how it's it's structured as well. So, so yeah, are you really gonna want to? Yeah, you're not gonna want to pay Samaj P. Ryan for next year, even though I'm not sure how much of that is really guaranteed. Now, I think Samaj would be a great addition back to the offense schematically, but in terms of of salary and roster control, I don't know if that's the best route that they would that they should go. Tommy, it doesn't sound like you're a Samaj P. Ryan guy. Um, I love P. Ryan while he was here. Um. My thing with it is it's not like, you know, once a guy leaves, you know, I don't want nothing to do with them. But, you know, I just think that they could do better outside that realm. I understand where you're coming from with P. Ryan, where he was a blocker. And they do need a blocker because of uh, what was it against Seahawks. How many snaps did Drew uh, Sample take in the backfield protecting Joe back there? I Probably mean, half a dozen. Yeah. And – you know, I understand the need for a, I understand the need for a run, a blocking running back, but I don't know. I just, I've just kind of moved away, moved on from the P. Ryan. So this is an out of left field take, but is Giovanni Bernard officially retired? No, I do believe he. He's not. I don't think so. Let me. I'm gonna pull that up real quick. I, I can't remember if I saw the retirement news or not. It's out of left field. It's probably not the best option if you can try to trade for somebody. But you know, if he's still if he's still in playing shape, uh, I mean, we talked about Sam's right. He retired. Sam's right. He retired. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, we're not. We're not. I'm not going to bother talking about that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you want him to bring the minivan back, don't you, Mick? Yeah, I want the minivan back. I want some good pass protection. <laughs> In the in there, I, here's the thing though. We talk about pass protection on third downs, and 
one thing I really liked with the Rams game, and maybe it's maybe it's too obvious that he's you know that it's a passing play, but they had Drew Sample in the backfield a ton in that Rams game, and he was kind of making a difference with the pass protection, and Joe was having more time to find open receivers. So because I, I think wanted... that's the that's the biggest thing is is that with Samaj P. Ryan is like with Drew Sample, you know, if Drew Sample's in the game, it's not like they're going to hand the ball off to Drew Sample and have him run the ball. No. <laughs> that would be hilarious. <laughs> I would pay good money to watch the reaction from some Bengals fans if Drew Sample got a got a handoff. Maybe but, have a use check kind of. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but if if Samaje P Ryan is back there, he's a threat to run the ball. Like yeah. it, it's not like he's yeah. somebody that you're not going to trust. And that's the one thing that I like about a guy like this. And I think they were hoping. I think what their hope was is that a Chris Evans would be Giovanni Bernard. He's not been that. No, no question. Not even been close. And then thinking, okay, can Travion Williams be even Samaj P. Ryan? And the answer has been, no, probably not. And then you've got this Chase Brown wild card, but I think Chase Brown is Joe Mixon. To where they haven't really found the perfect role to, to find it. Because I don't know that you trust Chase Brown to go in there and block on third downs. Yeah, I don't know if I would necessarily trust him either. And I want to see, just for reference here, who's the best graded guy in pass pro? Because I well, don't Joe Mixon has really... had a good season. His pass blocking has improved drastically in that category. But it's also, can you afford to have Joe Mixon on the field for every single play? Or at what point does it just get, you know, where you lose trust? So Travion by far has that best pass rushing grade, by the way, or by that pass uh, protection grade. He's got an 86. Uh, Joe's out of 45. Chris is out of 14. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, and Chase Brown hasn't had any pass protection snaps, so that pretty much tells me the offense doesn't trust him in that, in that role yet. I mean, heck, Chase Brown's had, what, a dozen snaps all season? Yeah, he hasn't played that much. Now, you usually see the run, the rookie running backs, other than Joe Mixon, they, they start to slowly, slowly integrate themselves into the offense. I'm thinking of Jeremy Hill. I can't believe I mentioned his name. Um, you know, uh, Gio didn't really have, get... You might have huh? to go in timeout now for a minute for saying that. Yeah, I might, I might ban myself from this podcast for a few weeks because I mentioned his name. But uh, Gio Bernard, it took a while for him to kind of uh, get going in 2013 um yeah so maybe you'll see a little bit more chase brown going forward uh yeah no i think travion's probably your third down back he should be your third down back right now now but, i'm gonna renege a little bit like when p Ryan, you know where i just said i like to see players move on there's a running back that the Bengals have had on the draft on the practice squad for like two uh two consecutive seasons and until he got picked up that I really liked as a blocker, and that was Jacquez Patrick. XFL legend, I think. <laughs> with the, I don't know if he was an XFL legend. He was with one of the XFL teams. He was. And, uh, Where is he now? Around. I don't Where think he now? he's a free agent right now. I was going to say, I don't know that he's he's been in because I know that he got cut. Uh, he's with the Titans. Oh, oh is he with the Titans? He is. I, I assume squad. probably practice squad. Yes, he is on the Titans practice squad, but that means theoretically that the Bengals could steal him 
But I guess because of that, that would mean that they'd have to sign him to the active roster, and I'm not sure they probably have that much trust in Jacquez Patrick to sign him to the Cat active Jackson roster. <laughs> <laughs> You got something in your throat there, Tommy? I did. <laughs> that was the wildest cough I've ever heard. And, and the most truthful cough I've ever heard. Uh, but then again, do you want to, in that realm, like, I, I, I won't disagree on that point is, but are you carrying five running backs then? Like, no. that's that's where it is, because then who are you cutting from that running back room? You're not cutting probably Chase Evans. Brown. Probably Evans, if anybody. And that's kind of the thing is, is could you even theoretically, and again, I'm just, just talking hypotheticals here, is, okay, call Denver and say, hey, Chris Evans for Samaj P. Ryan straight up. That's not going to happen. Denver would I, never take that. I don't think they would, but, or could you say, and then that, and we'll throw, and we'll swap seventh round picks or, you know, or, or, We'll give you our uh, our sixth for your seventh or something, you know, something along the lines of that. They like to do those little trades, like a pick swap. With that, is could you see things like that potentially happen for the Bengals? Is to to free up because that's the biggest thing. Is this if they do bring back a small JP ride? There's not a guy that is an easy cut because I think Chris Evans would be somebody that you wouldn't be able to sneak to the practice squad because I think somebody would probably snag him just based on the fact that he's got the tools. Yeah, um, I'm actually looking right now. I just want to take a look at free agent running backs next year to see if there's even anybody worth taking a flyer on. Um, what do we got here? Well, then you've got more running backs coming out, too, in the classes. You never know who this year's hidden gem could be, especially you're starting to see more and more of those good running backs. I mean, heck, Kentucky is one of the best running backs in college football right now, and Ray Davis, you know, where does he go? Uh, and he'd probably fit in that realm of a Samaj P. Ryan kind of guy. All right, I've got a great name for you guys who's an unrestricted free agent next year. Okay. Antonio Gibson. Okay. Was Would probably, the commanders let him go? I mean, kind of depends have on James how Robinson. They have Brian Robinson, yes. Brian, they have, James, Brian, Steve. And Antonio Gibson hasn't been really a featured back. He, he They kind of split time last year. But we talk about pass pro. Antonio Gibson graded top five in pass pro last year uh, and is also a very good receiving threat with the ball. Is he? I, if, if I'm looking at somebody to target, it's probably him. Um, see who else is on. And luckily we'll have we'll – have, you know, months to talk about free agency yeah. and, and so on as far as the running back. But I just thought that was an interesting thing is to whether we could potentially see a trade to try and make this team just a little bit better over these next uh, couple of weeks because the trade deadline is Halloween at 4 o'clock. So October the 31st, so you've, you're, you're about two weeks away from that trade deadline to try and see if the Bengals do make a move to make themselves better. I mean, you saw today the Chiefs made a trade. They brought back McCole Hardman. Now, is that a – but I think you could see the Bengals making a move like that. Like a move that to the rest of the league, everyone's going to be like, oh, okay. But it, it not an earth-shattering move, but one – and I think like a Samaj P. Ryan or heck, maybe even trading for Antonio Gibson would be a move like uh, that. That would be the move, yeah. It, and, and I know we've said, you know, they've only done this once in the past 40 years. If there's a year for them to make a trade and to try to make something right with this offense, it has to be this year. This is the and best 
Yeah. Yeah. And I that's agree a great with Everything about Gibson. I really like Gibson. Missed that one on there. And the Reds, or I almost said the old name, the you Commanders. Yeah. <laughs> the Commanders um, may look to get something out of nothing for him if they feel that they can't get him re signed next year. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's not like the commanders are really going to go anywhere this season. I, not to speculate too much on the commander season, but they look like they're in a transitional year. Um, and yeah, you might as well get something out of Antonio Gibson instead of just letting him walk. Right. So. And I think these are the, the discussions that you better believe Duke Tobin and his staff are having to try and see, because, you know, and you, and you, I don't remember which one of you mentioned it, but said, you know, this doesn't happen, but this is the year for it to happen. And I mean, the Bengals over these past couple of years have been doing all of these things that they don't usually do. You know, yep. the guaranteed money. You know, they gave all the guaranteed money to Orlando Brown and then gave all the guaranteed money to, to Joe Burrow. They're doing all of these things that aren't Bengal-like. So what's to stop mean and what's to say that the trade in season won't be the next big thing that they do in the next move that they might make to... uh to, to, to make a move. I, I, I don't know. I, I find it interesting, and I'll be interested here in about two weeks when we record this podcast whether we will be talking about a new member of the Cincinnati Bengals. But I think we all agree the answer will be no. We will not be. But I don't know that I'm going to be surprised if it does happen. All righty. By yourself. The Cincinnati Bengals will win the AFC North. Sell. I'm going to sell. Yeah. And this isn't me saying that I don't think the Bengals can write the ship, but I even said this going into the season. I know we went through the record positions and I had 13 and four, yada, yada, yada. The Bengals are in the toughest division in the NFL this season. I don't even think it's particularly close. The Browns have obviously progressed into a very good football team and, and an elite defense. Lamar's looked like he's taken the next step thus far as a as a quarterback. The Ravens have looked pretty good. The Steelers find magical ways to win football games, much like the Bengals have done actually this year, where you're like, how in the hell are they winning this game? So you're in the toughest division in football. And you know, it's still a crapshoot as to see who, who who's going to win this. Thing. So I'm going to sell here. You're selling, Tommy? I am selling. Um, a lot of what he said, um, plus, you know, I get that the Bengals uh, started out similar last year, but this is a completely different division this year. You know, uh, as of right now, the Bengals don't get Huntley at Baltimore. They're going to get uh, Jackson right now for a full season. Um, I know Watson's doing his usual BS that he did in Houston right now, but you know, they were going to get Watson for a complete season this year. And, you know, like said with the, um, um, Steelers, you know, they got a leprechaun leprechaun up their ass. (laughs) They just find a way to win. I mean, that's, uh, you know, so I think it's just going to be a really tough, uh, division and, Right now, losing two to um, the Browns and the Ravens, 
you know, that kind of sticks them in the hole. And even when Burrow gets it figured out, because he will get it figured out, the coaching staff will get it figured out, the offense will get it figured out, those are still going to be some really tough games. I mean, yeah. even if you have Burrow on his A game, all three of those teams is going to play you tough. It's a division rivalry game. And yeah. I just don't see the I just don't see the Bengals winning it this year. Call me the eternal optimist. I'm buying. I think they figure it out. And plus, it's a lot more fun when I say that they do it. And then I can be like, oh, you all negative Nancy's. I'm Mr. <laughs> Positive over here. I, I, I think they figured it out. I, I do. I, I, I think they figured it out. Um, I think the defense is starting to play better. Uh, I think the offense can't get much worse. So that's got to start getting better. And then I think, as Mick said, it's the toughest division in football. But I don't think it's a great division. And I think that those two things can be separate. And because of that, I don't think that there's not one team in this division that makes me go, ooh. Now, not the Browns? Each of those teams have things that make me go like that. Like the Browns' defense makes me go, ooh. But then I look at their offense, and I'm like, eh, okay. Because Deshaun Watson, like Tommy said, we don't know what what he's doing. Uh, They lost their best offensive player in Nick Chubb for the season. How much of an impact will that have long term, especially when you get into those into those colder months and so on? Uh, the Ravens, Lamar is going to get hurt. That's on you know it it just happens. He's going to miss a couple of games. How do they how do they react to that? Their defense, the Ravens' defense, is not an elite Ravens defense like we've been used to seeing. And the Steelers have Kenny Pickett as their quarterback. Like let, let's be real, he's the worst of the four quarterbacks in the division. Uh, when Deshaun Watson is playing, obviously, and I don't think it's particularly close. <laughs> so that's why I think that you look at that, and and I think it is a tough division. I agree with you, Mick. I don't think it is necessarily a as good of a, of a division as we were expecting. Part of that, though, is because of the injuries that some of these teams have had in this year. So I'll follow you up with this question. So obviously, I don't need to answer this one because I already have. Buy or sell, Tommy, the Bengals will make the playoffs. Oh, buying. I'm buying 100%. Mick? I will buy. And one thing that I've noted from this team, and I agree with Frank here, that they'll, they'll probably get a wild card spot, but they have shown an ability to beat teams that they are clearly better than. Uh, they obviously took it to the Cardinals. They, had, they, they, they won nail biters against the Rams and the Seahawks. They have found ways to win football games, and they have found a way to win, found ways to win football games when they have absolutely needed to. And that speaks, like you said, Sam, to the culture that the that the coaching staff, the locker room has. And it and and this is a team that constantly rises to the occasion when their back's against the wall. So I think they definitely they I think they probably do make the playoffs this year. And I would say that we we should expect to see Joe Burrow progress and get back to his old self throughout the rest of the year. So for the both of you to kind of a follow-up question on this is, is this closer to the five wild card or the seven? Well, that's a very subjective question, Sam, because that's, that, that could, you could have five through five through seven. They could all have the same record. Really? I mean, mean, there's that much parody in this conference where, but still, are are they going to be a you know? Because sometimes you will see a team that is the fifth seed, and they're the fifth seed no matter what, because 
It's a really solid division up top. And then you have some, like, I guess the question is, is are we going to be panicking that last week of the season because they have to beat the Browns last week to make the playoffs and get in as, like, that seventh seed? I don't know. Or will that last game... Thanks. Great great analysis. Yeah. Um, or, or will that last game be something like... If they win, they'll be the six. If they lose, they're still going to be the seven. Or if they win, they're the five or the six or something like that. See, I would probably go towards the first. And and I've touched on this in prior weeks because the rest of this schedule is tough. It is a very tough, you know, final 11 games they have to play. They got to play the Steelers twice. They got to play the Ravens again. They got to play the Browns, the Niners, the Bills. The Texans. The Texans are good this year. You yeah, know, you don't Colts. really have yeah, the Colts, the Vikings aren't as bad as their record suggests. Chiefs. The Ch- oh yeah, the yeah, not to mention the defending Super Bowl champions. You have a very, very tough schedule in these last eleven games. And the and, biggest thing with that, Mick, is a lot of those are on the road. Yeah, they are. They are. So yeah, we can very well see them fighting for a playoff spot against the Browns in week 18. I hope to God that doesn't happen because, you know, the Browns match match up with us better than probably any other team in the league. I, yeah, I, I, I don't agree. And how we usually end every show is we have our picks for the season. We've kind of done that our picks for the, the week coming up, but before that, Mick always does his keys to the game coming up. So for the both of you keys to the playoffs, Keys to the division. What needs to happen for the Bengals to make the playoffs as a division champion or a wild card? But regardless, just make the playoffs. What are the keys for that to happen? Offensive consistency. Yeah. Offensive consistency. That's a good one. Nick, what's your next one? I'm going to say consistency from our starting safety duo. Uh, and also benching Nick Scott and replacing <laughs> him with Jordan Mattel. Because you will never have consistency with that safety duo until you replace Nick Scott with Jordan Battle. Mick, how do you feel about Nick Scott? I, I, I feel like you're not maybe, maybe, maybe a fan. I'm getting, are you picking up on that too, Tommy? That he might not be a big fan? Waste of money. You know, I was agitated at Nick because uh, – or Mick. Man, this is going to be so confusing <laughs> talking about Mick and Nick. God, dog it. But um, I was so agitated at Mick because I was like eh. – Nick Scott, he actually played a pretty good game against us in the Super Bowl, and he had some good highlights with the Rams. So I was like, I think this was a good pickup. I've been wrong so far. <laughs> I've been very, very wrong so far. Um, you know, we were talking about DJ Turner's passer rating being like at 52.2. Um, Nick Scott's is like 98.3, which is oh the second God. highest out of all defensive backs. And <laughs> – it's um, yeah, it's been rough <laughs> watching him back there. Tommy, this has been a lot of fun today. I appreciate you joining man, us. Man, I had a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for joining, Tommy. Come at, come anytime, Tommy. Like, yeah, I usually have games on Wednesdays, so I don't. I usually catch about the last twenty minutes, fifteen minutes, but we're done, so. Yeah, we well, go. great. We appreciate you taking the time to join us. It's been a lot of fun. I know we're going to start to do these every once in a while, as well as these roundtable formats. Hopefully, we can get some of the more of our friends from over the years. I know Josh Isles decided that dinner 
was more important. And uh, Alex Schubert decided that comedy was more important. So hopefully when uh, they go back and listen to comedy and dinner, I wouldn't have been able to feed Josh dinner, but we wouldn't have judged if he had chowed down on his salad or, or something. Or I can't imagine. I mean, what does Josh eat? I, I, I he, He's too fit to eat anything like a cheeseburger or something. So it's got to be a salad or a chick, grilled chicken breast or something. So we could have eaten that while he talked about the Bengals. So basically you're saying Josh was too busy eating his seaweed casserole <laughs> while Alex Schubert had to go to a comedy show to learn how to do comedy. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> there we go. So now we've, we've fired the shots across the bow. So they're going to have to come on to defend themselves next time that we do a, uh, a who day nation admin <laughs> Uh, group for that which is uh, a lot of fun this has been a lot of fun make sure though that you follow us on our social media channels so we have our youtube channel subscribe there we have our facebook we have uh the Huday nation wdn today josh isles's facebook page make sure you follow him uh you can also listen to this podcast back on all of the different podcast platforms uh spotify iHeartRadio, apple uh that one french one i didn't know if you, you might not know this tommy but we're kind of a big deal in france Really? We have one person that listened once. <laughs> nice. So right. clearly, <laughs> we're, we're uh, part of Vufrancais. Bonjour, Eiffel Tower. I don't speak Spanish, guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, hablo espanol un poco. I, I, we're, we're not that kind of podcast, but still. So uh, make sure you listen to the podcast. That way we have all of the different ways for you to join us, but this has been a lot of fun. Uh, we'll be back each Wednesday night at 8 p.m. as next week. We're all about the Niners. Big game coming up a uh, week and a half. It's how do you all handle, and we're running a little bit long, but really quick, how do you all handle no Bengals Sundays? Oh, I'm actually really looking forward to it. I'm going to watch some Red Zone, uh, bet on some games, and enjoy my time and not be stressed other than what I bet on, I guess. Pretty Are you a Red Zone Red zone guy? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Not I'm not I'm not the octobox kind of guy. Like that's too much that's too much coming at you at once. Yeah, I'm excited to be able to watch a game and just like like you Mick said, is that even Kentucky, you know, I'm a big UK fan, they don't play this weekend. So it's just this this nice weekend where I get to sit and not have my teams ruin my mood like Western Kentucky did last night. But that'll wrap us up here for the show for this week. Tommy again. I appreciate you taking the time to join us. We'll be back again next Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So until then, for Tommy and for Mick, I'm Sam Hude. Hude. Hude.